Good morning, church. Um, good to see you guys. My name is John Hilton, and I am the student pastor here at the Fellowship of Two Rivers. Uh, they generally let the student pastor speak on the Sunday after Christmas because there's never anyone there. Uh, so lucky me, that uh, got moved forward a week. So here I am giving the first sermon of the year. And uh, I might add to that that this is my first time ever preaching to the congregation of the church in my entire life. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, so like I said, I've never preached outside of the student environment ever. So this is a first for me. And I'm extremely grateful for you guys. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I'm extremely grateful that you would allow me this time. I'm also grateful to the leadership who has empowered me and built me up to be able to do this. Uh, first and foremost, before I even get started with what we're talking about this morning, I feel like since I don't always get this moment, I have to take this moment to recognize the servant leaders and the volunteers in the student ministry. They've done incredible things over the past few months. I could not have done any of it without them. So if you will, just take a moment. Let's give a hand to our student volunteers. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Seriously, I love you guys. Thank you for your leadership and your friendship. So, like I said, I know that had nothing to do with this morning, but I don't get that moment very often, so I want to recognize them. Also, this morning, I'm sure that the students will be relieved that I am not just addressing them, so they get a little bit of a break this morning. So, we're going to move on. We're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about the journey for contentment. And as many of you guys know, I became a student pastor here back in February, right before our big annual discipleship event called Freedom Weekend. It was incredible, and it's honestly, it's hard to believe that that was less than a year ago. But here's the kicker to all of this. We had Freedom Weekend, and we had like 150 students in the room between both campuses, and then the next week, everything changed. I went from worshiping in that room with all those students to talking to a camera for the next three or four months without a single student in the room. And needless to say, that wasn't exactly what I had in mind uh, when I decided to answer God's calling on my life uh, and to minister to these students. You see, I'm a planner by nature. I want to know exactly what is happening and when it's happening and exactly how it's going to play out. I like to know exactly what is going on. And when I interviewed for this position, I actually brought a now laughable three-month plan to Pastor Scott. Uh, and of course, that was completely derailed by a global pandemic. So I think to some degree, we all desire to know God's plan for our lives. I can't count the number of times that I've prayed, Lord, tell me exactly what you want. Tell me and I will do it. But the Lord knows my heart. And he also knows that sometimes I need to be shown what to do, not just told what to do. So in order to get us started on this journey for contentment, I need to backtrack a little bit to give you guys some context. So let's backtrack to my time before I was a student pastor here. I became the student pastor this last February, of course, and I've attended the Fellowship at Two Rivers for quite some time now. Uh, I met my wife, Autumn Hilton, at college over in West Tennessee, and of course, since we met there, we occasionally would make trips over here to be with her family, and then consequently, I would visit this church with them. And that's where I got to know a lot of you guys over the years. It's been great. And this, this goes all the way back over to the old building over there on McGavick. Uh, and I remember walking those halls. I even remember helping you guys move out of that building. So I've been around here a little while. Uh, and then two years ago, Autumn and I got married. And I moved to Nashville from Missouri. 
And that just made the most sense at the time because I was traveling full-time with a band that was based out of Nashville. I was a singer in a band with Hunter Sparkman, who is one of the other worship leaders here. You've probably seen him once or twice. Uh, and that band was called New Legacy Project. And like I said, we traveled out of Nashville. So when Autumn and I got married, it just made sense for the both of us to move here. And so we did. In total, I stayed with the band for about three years. We were touring over 200 days a year all across the country. And in the midst of my time with them, Autumn and I got married. So one thing led to another. And as you can imagine, I was extremely unhappy being on the road 200 days a year with my new wife at home. I used to make the joke constantly to Hunter that I spent more nights in a hotel room with him than I did at home in my bedroom with my wife. It is, uh, it is laughable now, but at the time it was very trying. I'm sure not only for me, but for Autumn as well. So I got to the point where I was praying this prayer over and over and over again, and I was asking the Lord, I was saying, God, if you want me to do something else, call me out of this. Show me a way out, and I'll take it. I just want to do what you want me to do. Show me the way, and I will go. So that became my prayer. And there were many nights where I was running emotionally low in a hotel room in the middle of nowhere, not happy, wanting to be home with my new wife, that I would pray this prayer over and over and over again. So this became my prayer, and I prayed it constantly for about a year and a half, and nothing changed. I got to the point where I was obsessed with thinking about it. It was all I could think about. It consumed my every waking moment. And now please hear me out. The job was great. The pay was even better. The friendships that I had with my bandmates and my boss were awesome, and the music that we made was just the cherry on top but my heart was being pulled away and the discontentment that I was feeling was overwhelming. I talked to my parents about it. I talked to Autumn's parents about it. Pretty much every family member I had on both sides, I spoke to every friend that I had ever spoken to and eventually my life just became a series of asking other people's opinions on my situation. Questions like, do you think I should stay in this position? Do you think what I'm doing is right? Am I doing the right thing? Give me some direction. What if you were in my shoes? And for some reason, I needed to hear someone other than myself say what I was thinking. I was expecting them to give me the answers that I was asking God for. And to be frank, that simply was not happening. Now, I didn't consciously realize I was seeking out everyone else's opinions on the matter. I like to think of myself as a pretty independent person. I don't require or put much stock into other people's opinions in order to make decisions in my life. But something about this heavyweight decision bogged me down so much that I was looking for anyone and everything else to answer the problem for me because I had prayed to God and he didn't answer. Now please hear me out when I say I had prayed to God about it. I'm not talking about just a one-time, throw it up in the air, dear Lord, change this thing. No, I mean, I got intentional about it. Every single morning during my quiet time on the couch was spent mulling over these thoughts and prayers. I started to study my own prayer life because quite honestly, it got to the point where I felt like God wasn't listening or telling me anything at all. I started changing the way that I prayed based on a few verses. I'm gonna rapid fire a few of these at you right now, so keep up with me here. James chapter four, verse three says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Okay, so I needed to make sure that I am praying from the right place, not seeking my own passions, but rather his will. Got it, great. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith, okay? So I need to check my heart and make sure that I truly believe that my God is faithful to me so I can faithfully pray to him so I can receive whatever I want. Okay, check. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Okay, wait a minute. I had been asking, and nothing had been given to me. I had been seeking, but I wasn't getting any answers. And there sure wasn't any doors opening to me at the time. So what in the world was going on? Now, I've been a Christian for over 20 years. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a great Christian home. I went to a Christian college. After that college, I joined a band that sang gospel music, and now I'm on staff at this church, and yet still, that verse from Matthew 7, or chapter 7, verse 7, was extremely perplexing to me. I was asking for God to tell me, and I was seeking for him to show me, and he wasn't showing me or telling me anything. But the verse says, ask it will be given to you, seek and you will find. I had done that, but knock and it will be opened to you? What did that even look like? And that brings me to my first point. What door are you knocking on in your life? Or a better way to put this, are you knocking on the door in your life that leads to the way of the world? Or are you knocking on the door in your life that leads to God's will for your life that furthers his kingdom? So back when I was saying that I had spent about a year and a half praying, God, if you want me to do something else, call me out of this, show me a way, I'll take it. Just show me what you want. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I realized and I got to the point where I had this big realization. I came to the realization that God already knew my request. I'd been doing a lot of asking and a lot of seeking, but I hadn't been doing any knocking. For that matter, I didn't even know where to start knocking. I had prayed this so fervently, so heavily, so incessantly to God. I mean, I was praying every waking moment of every day that I would have a quiet time, that I would sit down and have a prayer time. Every quiet time, every time I'd sit down with my wife, we prayed this together, we prayed it separately. Other people were praying for me, and at the end of the day, nothing was happening. And I know I'm not the only one in this room with this many people in a room this size. I know I'm not the only one who has prayed a prayer like this and not gotten an answer. Like I said, though, I came to a realization, and that realization was that God didn't need me to ask him over and over and over again. He wanted me to start knocking on some doors. He already had the plan in place. He asked us to pray, to have faith, and to seek his will, not our own passions. That verse in James chapter 4, verse 3, that says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, that can be a really, really hard pill to swallow. When we are seeking change and knocking on a door through prayer, are we seeking what we want or are we seeking what he wants? Are we knocking on our own door that leads to the way of the world or are we knocking on his door, the door that leads to his will for our lives? That discovery is what began my journey for contentment. I knew that I'd been praying the wrong prayer for over a year, so I changed my prayer to this. I said, Lord, I pray that you will slam shut the doors that need to be closed and that you will swing wide the doors that need to be opened and I will walk through them. Now, I have a confession to make about this. When I started praying my original prayer, there was a part of me, although, yes, I did want change, I didn't want to have to sacrifice my current financial situation. Essentially, I wanted change, but I only wanted it on my terms. 
I was knocking on my own door. There's a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that speaks directly to this. To give some context before I read this passage, Timothy, of course, was a companion and ministry partner of Paul. So we can assume that Paul probably passed his views of contentment on to Timothy prior to Timothy writing his letter. Paul had previously written a letter to the Philippian church where he expressed these views in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13, where he said, Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be without, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now those are Paul's words from Philippians. And Paul's words here directly support what Timothy was sharing in his letter in 1 Timothy. And this is key scripture in regards to finding contentment in your lives. So don't miss this. Read along with me. We're going to throw it up on the screen. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. And it says this. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction amongst people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into, many, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through that craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I think that this scripture speaks to our society even more today than it probably did then. And I can't speak for everyone, but I imagine that when most of us are looking for change in our lives, we're willing to give up a lot of stuff, but Lord, please do not take the money away. Something about that verse hit me really, really hard because I didn't realize what I was asking the Lord in prayer. Again, I was seeking for the Lord to change my situation, but only on my terms. I'm sure that I've probably read that passage once or twice in the past. Like I said, being a Christian for 20 years, growing up in the church, I'm positive that I had heard this verse before, but I hadn't written it on my heart like I have now. If you're seeking change in 2021, like I know some of you are, start with seeking godliness with contentment. Knocking on that door leads to great gain. I feel like I would probably be remiss if I just skipped over one of the underlying parts of that last scripture, which is going to lead to our second point. What is your motive? So like I was seeking change, I've been around enough people that I know that there is someone or there's many people in this room, especially here at the beginning of the year, that are seeking change. It's a new year, and that means that everyone is making resolutions and starting new lifestyle plans, and a lot of the time... We will pray for the Lord to come alongside us and help us with these changes. But I would encourage you to ask yourself, what is my motive? 
Am I seeking out the change that I want or am I seeking out the change that the Lord wants for me? Sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes those two things are one and the same. But us humans, by our very nature, tend to get caught up in our day-to-day lives as opposed to being focused on the eternal perspective, the big picture. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard a sermon or two or three or five use an example for just how long eternity really is. Uh, One example is from a very famous man, Francis Chan, we all know him, he's a pastor. Uh, And in this example, he uses a very long rope. He asks the audience to imagine that this rope goes on forever. And right at the end, he's painted the first two or three inches of this rope red. And this is to illustrate our time here on earth, about this long as compared to living on for eternity. Many of us, of course, know the most quoted scripture, probably of all time, which is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. Life everlasting. Life that goes on millions of years beyond our very, very short time here on earth. The question that should arise for us Christians is are we motivated by the things of earth or are we motivated by the mission that was given to us by the same God who gave us the free gift of that eternal life? Are we motivated by our bank accounts or are we motivated by our investment into the eternal? Are we motivated by society or are we motivated by Christ, the temporary or the eternal? If you're seeking change, what is your motive? It isn't really a question of what change you're seeking. There's nothing inherently wrong with change. But the question is really the motive behind it. The first step on the journey to peace and contentment is godliness. And the second is having an eternal perspective. To return just briefly to my story, most of you already know how my story ends. But if you don't, here you go. So I started praying for God to open and close doors. And then I started seeking what he would have for me instead of what I had for me. Not long after I started praying this, I was approached by the leadership here at the fellowship about the interim student pastor position. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know instantly if that's what the Lord would have me do or not. But what I did know was that it was a door that needed to be knocked on. And to make a long story short, I ultimately left my job with the band, one, to come home and be a husband, And then secondly, to work here with our students at the fellowship. I'm extremely glad that I did. The Lord closed the doors that needed to be closed, and he opened this door right on time. This has been the happiest I've been in a very long time. Yes, even in the midst of a global pandemic. I've seen the Lord move in incredible ways over the last 10 months. I've been blessed to see students get saved. I've seen the prayers of our people answered firsthand. I have watched protection and healing abound in our congregation and our community. And that all being said, this does not mean that this change came easily. Autumn and I had to change the very way we operated entirely. She no longer gets a two-week break from me while I'm on tour, so that changes things. Um, Sure, we take a few less trips to Target and TJ Maxx, we pay a little more attention to the budget than we had in the past, but we have, come, we have become content with the food that is on our plates and the clothes that's on our backs. Now hear me out, please. We are blessed beyond measure. We have more than we could ever need 
If you have air conditioning and Netflix, you have more than most of the world. So I don't have much to complain about. But I need you to know that we have not perfected this contentment thing just yet. There is a reason that this sermon is entitled The Journey to Contentment and not The Arrival of Contentment. This entire time, there has been one thing that has kept me on this journey, and it's actually my third and final point for this morning. There is a promise to claim. This promise that the Lord has given to us as his followers is enough to give peace and contentment in hard times. I would argue that outside of the gift of salvation and spending an eternity with him, that this is the second greatest gift which he has promised us amongst many things. Before we dive into this promise, we need to acknowledge something. Change often creates anxiety. For some people, just the word change makes you anxious. For others, it can be initially exciting. I would say I fall into that category. But nevertheless, change almost always leads to anxiety of some sort. The word change inherently means doing something different than you were already doing. So we're dealing with the unknown. And this anxiety of the unknown can cause us to question the changes that we're trying to make in our lives. Am I cut out for this? Can I follow through with it? What if I fail? When you decide to embark on this journey for peace and contentment that the Lord has for us, it will eventually come with change. And with that change will most likely come some anxiety. But like I said, there is a promise that we as Christians can claim. Jesus revealed this promise to his followers during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews chapter 5 through 7. And if you want to kickstart your journey this year into contentment, I just I highly encourage you to go read those chapters, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus clearly outlines how we should live our lives. The promise to claim that I am speaking of comes directly from Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34, where he says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That sounds like a promise to me. To put it into simpler terms, God knows what you need 
and he promises to take care of you. And in my opinion, this is the cornerstone to contentment. But there's a kicker to this promise, and it comes through in verse 33, where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think we throw around the word righteousness a lot in church, but my concern is that not all of us know exactly what that means. Here's a brief description. God the Father is righteous. Jesus Christ, his Son, is the righteous one. The Father, through the Son and the Holy Spirit, gives the gift of righteousness to repentant sinners for salvation. Therefore, believing sinners are declared righteous by the Father through the Son. They are made righteous by the Holy Spirit working through them. In other words, to become righteous, we are asked to pray for forgiveness from our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Many of us in this room have prayed a prayer like this and given our lives to Christ many years ago, and some of us more recent than others. But in order to have the promise of eternal life and the promise that he will provide for us while we are here on earth, he has asked us to give our lives over to him. If you're seeking contentment in this chaotic world, there is only one answer. You can knock on the door of the world or you can knock on the door that leads to God's will for your life. You can spend your short life worried about saving up enough money for retirement or you can rest in the promise that the Lord is going to take care of you as one of his followers. This morning, I want you to look back over 2020 with all of its ups and downs and then I want you to look to the future, not just into 2021, but rather into eternity. While you're, on, while you're here on earth, do you want to spend your time wandering, lost, alone? Or do you want to be able to claim the promise knowing that the God of all creation, the God of the heavens and the earth, is going to provide for you while you're here? He has a plan for you, and that plan goes beyond 2021 and on into eternity. This morning, I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to make their way back up here. And I'm going to pray for us. But I'm going to ask us to do two things. First, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, if you have never prayed for forgiveness of your sins and given your life to Christ, I'm going to lead us in that prayer this morning. And all I ask is that you would simply repeat after me. If you decide to make that decision this morning, then we would love to hear about it because we want to walk forward with you in that decision. If you're online, you can email us at prayer at thefellowship.cc. We would love to hear about it. If you're here in this room this morning and you decide to make a decision like this, come find one of the pastors here, one of the leaders here, myself, Aaron, anybody. We would love to walk with you in this. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It matters that your heart is right and that you've been made righteous so you can receive the promises that this God has promised us. So if you feel that calling on your life this morning, I highly encourage you, in the year 2021, make it different. Find contentment. Lean into the promises that we've been promised by this God. The second thing this morning is if you are already a Christian and you're seeking change in 2021, then I want you to join me in prayer this morning and pray that God would shift our focus from what we want to what he wants. I love you, church. Thank you so much for letting me speak this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
we thank you for this time together. In the midst of great struggle last year, we didn't know for sure if we would ever be able to come back to this place. And here we are spending time with you together in fellowship. And we praise you for that. Lord, first I want to pray that you would change our perspective to your perspective, that you would give us an eternal perspective, that you would let us focus on what you want for our lives rather than what we want for our lives. And let that change become so evident in our church body that it flows out into our community and changes the lives of others and shows them the hope, grace, the peace, the mercy that you've given to us. Lord, this morning, if there's anyone watching or if there's anyone in this room that needs to pray a prayer of salvation this morning, I pray that you would have them just pray this to you, Lord, repeating after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's anyone who prayed that prayer this morning, I pray you would embolden them, that you would build them up, that you would lift their hearts, that you would give them strength, knowledge, courage to go out and be the change in the world. Lord, I pray that you would have them come to us so we can walk alongside them. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We only want your will to be done. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.